You're listening to a podcast from Genesis Church in Phoenix, Arizona. You can find out more about Genesis Church at genesis-church.com. Thanks for listening. Well, uh, many of you know this, uh, but I grew up in the frigid tundra of Minnesota. Uh, and so I was watching the Packers game last night and watching the snow and the cold. I was like, I remember that. And also, I felt great joy watching them lose uh, because I'm a Vikings fan. Um, now, if you don't believe me uh, about the frigid tundra that is that area, I looked at the temperature for this coming week in the area I grew up in, and the low on Wednesday is supposed to be negative 17. Some of you in this room, you don't even know. You're like, that's is that even a real thing? You know, you grew up here or on this part of the country, and I know we complain about the heat a lot here in the summer, but trust me. We are way better off. We just are. Okay? So needless to say, uh, growing up in Minnesota uh, could be harsh in the winter times, and so harsh that we rarely, believe this or not, we rarely had snow days because people in Minnesota are very efficient at moving snow. They know how to do it. But we did miss school for cold days uh, where the temperature would be like 50 below zero, and they'd be like, we should probably not go to school today and freeze on our way there, right? This was the kind of, uh, you know, winters I endured as a, as, a, uh, as a kid. But I was fortunate. I lived in a home where we had a fireplace, a real wood-burning fireplace. And in the wintertime, when it got cold, we always built a fire. And I can remember laying in front of that fireplace, staying warm on those cold winter nights, watching, you know, the North Stars play or, or a basketball game or something like that. And typically, it was my dad who made the fire, But as I got older, he actually showed me how to do it. And um, now if you've ever tried to make a fire, it can be a little tricky. Uh, It seems easy, right? Wood and, you know, fire. But, you know, if you don't do it right, it doesn't take. And so he kind of showed me the ins and outs of building a fire and how to put newspaper underneath and have the right kindling and dry wood and all of that. And so he was showing me this one time, but uh, and, and he would do something was really precarious to me. Um, and I couldn't quite understand what was going on when I was like a seven-year-old. You know, he would get everything set up. He would warm the chimney. He, he would open the air return, and he would light the newspaper underneath. And then just as the, start, the fire started to catch, he would lean over and blow as hard as he could on the fire. Right? Now, now I can distinctly remember thinking, why is he trying to blow the fire out when he's just getting it started, I mean, we know this, right? When you, how do you put out a candle? You blow it out. Thank you, someone in the back. I appreciate that. The rest of you, do you know how to put out a candle? Do you know how to do that? I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, here, how do you extinguish a match? You light a match. You light the thing. What do you do with it? You blow it out. And here's my dad blowing furiously on the fire he just started. And it just didn't make sense in my seven-year-old brain until I had a better understanding of the relationship between fire and wind. Wind, uh, without it, wind or oxygen, fire cannot exist. It doesn't exist. And the more movement that there is in the air, the greater the fire actually can grow. Forest fires take out tens of thousands of acres because just a small spark is fueled by wind and air. The greatest enemy for those fighting a forest fire is wind. 
wind spreads and fuels the fire until it's completely uncontrollable. Now, it's interesting, you know, as a seven-year-old, I, you know, I grew up and I finally figured out what that was. But then as a 43-year-old, I realized, you know what? What if I realized that there's actually a relationship between wind and fire that isn't just a physical one, but it's actually a spiritual one as well? Well, as Joe mentioned, uh, we are continuing in our series on the book of Acts. We're in the third week now. And uh, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, I, I can't encourage you enough to go online, uh, catch up with us. Uh, this is a story we're going to be going through over the next months, you know, possibly year, as we unpack these 28 chapters. And so uh, following with us as we go through that is highly important. So go to our website, go to YouTube, re-watch them, and uh, you can watch the entire service, or uh, you can always just watch the message if you want. And so far, we've looked at uh, these first followers who were brought in and called by Jesus uh, to do great things for the God's kingdom, becoming the witnesses of Jesus all around the known world, Jesus says to them. But before that happens, Jesus gives them this other instruction to just wait. The, the time is not quite ready for them to go out and to be these witnesses around the world. He's to, they're to wait for the Spirit's movement, Jesus says. So as we observed last week, the first followers are sort of in this, this uh, purgatory situation where Jesus has given these, them these instructions, but they're not ready to go yet. And so they're just they're waiting and they're, they're praying and they're gathering and they're addressing some gaps in their community and their leadership. And it's all something we're asked to do as well in, in the waiting times of our lives. And, and yet the, the first followers, they're just, they're just at a standstill, trying to do what they can, but they're not quite sure what's going to happen. And in the waiting, they experience some growth. They experience some newness. In fact, um, this last week, we um, sent out a question. Maybe you have that text Genesis number in your phone and you're part of our list. And we've been sending out a question each week. Uh, just asking people uh, questions. And this last week, we asked the question, what obstacle in your life could you view as an opportunity today? Something that the first followers of Jesus did. They viewed that waiting as an opportunity. We asked that question. One of the responses we received this week was, for myself, it's a good reminder that while I'm waiting for healing from chronic illness, there are opportunities to get closer to God and know there's a purpose in my waiting in hard times. I mean, the, the story, I want you to remember this, the story of Acts is not something that just happened long ago. It's something that's happening right now, even in the midst of our community. And so each week, just so you know, we're going to be sending out a question. So please respond to us. We want to hear from you and what God is teaching you through this story. So as we pick up this story today, the first followers, they're still in the waiting. They're waiting for this spirit that Jesus has promised to come and to move and, and to send them into the world, but they're not going to wait for long, right? So open up your Uversion app and follow along because things are about to get crazy in Jerusalem, as they always do. I don't know if that's true or not. I like to imagine Jerusalem's a crazy place, but uh, it's going to get crazy in this verse. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Okay, stop. At this point, the believers are continuing to do what they have been doing previously. They're gathered together, they're praying, they're preparing for what may come. 
But meanwhile, the Jewish festival of Pentecost is happening in the city of Jerusalem. Now, Pentecost was a yearly festival uh, that happened 50 days after Passover in the Jewish calendar. It was an agricultural festival where the, the, the people around the agricultural world at the time would bring a bundle of their first fruits of their wheat crop that was about to be harvested, and they would bring it to Jerusalem and offer it as an offering to God to thank him uh, and give gratitude, uh, one, for the crop that they're about to receive, and also pray that the rest of the crop would grow uh, abundantly and be gathered in efficiently. And so as a result of this festival, thousands upon thousands of Jews from around the known world have traveled and gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. Now, they were gathered there, right, to bring these first fruits of their harvest as an offering to the temple, and many of them would have traveled from distant lands all around the Roman Empire to participate. And so it's into this circumstance that those first followers are gathered and they're waiting. It's in this first circumstance, or this circumstance that the Spirit makes its first move, which happens in verse 2. It says this, suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. This is a wild moment in the life of these first followers. Chaos. Can you imagine the chaos that ensues among them? The spirit that, you know, it comes in. They go from sitting around praying and being to being engulfed by wind and fire. And suddenly they're able to speak languages they nobody knew prior. It wasn't like they were gathered together studying Rosetta Stone or Duolingo, right? Like they could just all of a sudden speak these languages from all over the known world at the time. But I don't want you to miss this because in this crazy, chaotic situation, something revolutionary is happening. What we are reading has the power to shift and shape our lives in ways we never thought possible. Again, this is not just a story of what once happened, but it is a story of what is happening all the time, right? Look closely with me. The word spirit that is used in this passage comes from the Greek word pneuma. Everybody say the word pneuma, right? Pneuma. Yeah, it's kind of a fun word to say. It actually starts with a P. If you didn't know that, the P is silent, right? It's pneuma. And in the Old Testament Hebrew, that same word is translated ruach, which is a really fun word to say, but is not COVID approved. So do not say it together. The word is ruach, right? And you got to get in there. Then you can see why we don't want to be doing that. But both pneuma and ruach have the root meaning of breathed or blown. Wind. Wind. Therefore, the Bible says that this Holy Spirit is like wind blowing in and around the people of God. And likewise, we read in the scripture that God is often referred to as a fire. In Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 9, Hebrews chapter 12, God is referred to as a consuming 
fire. And now prior to Jesus' arrival, God is located outside of the people of God. He rests in the Holy of Holies in the temple prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, which is why the Israelites are led, right, through the desert by the pillar of fire, for instance. But with Jesus' arrival, his death and resurrection, God now rests where? In us. The consuming fire rests in us. John chapter 14, verse 20 says, When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. That, that fire that led the Israelites through the desert, if you have faith in Christ, it's in you. The consuming fire that helped the Israelites cross over the Jordan into the promised land, that's, that's in you. And when the Spirit, the Ruach, the Numa of God, blows on the fire living inside of you, look out. Stuff happens. Stuff you didn't imagine would ever happen begins to happen. And I, and I want you to take note of this because this is not just the main idea of the passage we're reading today, but it may very well be the main idea of the entire book of Acts. And that is this, that when the Spirit moves, barriers burn. Stuff starts to burn up. <laughs> when the, the Ruach of God begins to burn, or excuse me, blow on the burning fire inside of you, stuff starts to burn. Barriers in particular begin to burn. For example, for the first followers and for us, when the Spirit moves, spiritual barriers burn. Where once God was apart from us, He now lives in us. And when the Spirit moves, there is a spiritual freedom and joy that we experience. We experience and know God in new ways. And the Spirit ignites a fire in us to do things we never thought possible. We never imagined because the barrier between heaven and earth burned up. I mean, contrary to what many of us have been taught, the ultimate purpose of God's arrival in Jesus is not to get us into heaven, but to get heaven into us. The barrier has been burned between us and heaven. And when the Spirit moves, it ignites a fire that burns that in a way we've not experienced before. We become people who become heaven to this earth all around it. And for the first followers, the movement of the Spirit in their lives had immediate and present implication. It wasn't something they looked forward to in the future. It was happening right in front of them. And in the same way, the Spirit wants to burn up these spiritual barriers that we've often constructed in regards to how God wants to move in us. When the Spirit moves, it should burn up whatever spiritual barriers you have constructed. Like the spiritual barrier that says that the relationship we have with God is only for me and not for the world. It should be set on fire. Or the spiritual barrier that says Jesus doesn't really care about the well-being of our communities, just us. That barrier is burned up. The spiritual barrier that says only one way of thinking is acceptable to God. 
The Spirit wants to move in our lives to burn up the spiritual barriers we've constructed and free us to do what He desires to do in our lives. But it's not the only barrier the Spirit desires to burn up on Pentecost and in our lives today. With the Spirit's movement, personal barriers burn as well. Look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 5. We're going to go on in the verse, the passage. It says this, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. We talked about that. It's Pentecost. They've all come here. Right? And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they explained. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Now, before we forget, or in case we forget, the first followers of Jesus, man, they're not who I would choose. This is a ragtag group of followers. They had very little in common with each other. Some were fishermen, some were merchants, some were, you know, hated tax collectors, some were prostitutes, and none of them were admired by society. And to that, the fact that many of them were from Galilee, and you, uh, you, you add to that that they're from Galilee, you have a community of people that would have sort of been laughed at by the society at times. The Galileans were widely considered as sort of backwards. They had this peculiar dialect and were typically uneducated and looked down upon by those living in the rest of Judea. The majority of society expected little or nothing from somebody from Galilee, which is why they say, these people are all from Galilee. How do they know what they're doing? They're a bunch of dumb you know, guys from the backwoods. What do they know about any of this? But with the Spirit's movement, the personal barriers that our world has constructed burn up for the first followers. We see the ordinary do the extraordinary. The outcasts emerge from the shadows with the greatest news the world has ever heard. The Spirit meets them right where they are in the midst of who they are. Those personal barriers that have been constructed even in their own lives are burned up and they begin to do what only the Spirit could lead them to do. And I want you to hear this because it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how much money you have in your pocket or what you can and cannot do. The Spirit is in the business of burning up all those personal barriers you or the world has constructed so that we could be people that do extraordinary things in this world. The personal barriers of the first followers, and even just among those who were there, they burn up. The Spirit of God breathes on the fire in these individuals, and the barriers burn. And then finally, the Spirit's movement in those first followers causes societal barriers to burn. I mean, as I mentioned before, the Spirit's movement is never just for us as individuals. It's for the world. Going back to the last half of verse 7, it says this, these people are all from Galilee, right? What are they doing here? And yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, 
Egypt and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. And in Genesis chapter 11, very beginning of the Bible, people decide to, to build this tower and they hope to reach heaven so that they can be like God himself. And so as a result, God, um, he disperses them throughout the world. And as he does, he causes them to speak different languages in order to humble them, to remind them that we are creation, not creator. And the curse, it causes chaos and it causes division and hatred in the world since they're unable to communicate and they, they form these tribes of people that are, are, are sort of inward looking in and of themselves. We don't want to be with the outcasts who don't look and talk like us. But then in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit moves and God begins to eliminate the division. God begins the process of uniting the world through the movement of a spirit. The spirit moves and it burns up all these societal barriers and stereotypes that have been constructed in the world. And it does it still today. The spirit moves and it burns divisions among us, be they political or racial or economic or otherwise. And they're burned up when the spirit blows upon us. Heaven a place that we're told in the book of Revelation where people from all tongues and all nations worship God, it becomes a reality here on earth when the Spirit moves. The, the first followers united a crowd of divided people. A crowd of people that were divided based on prejudices and stereotypes. They're united because of the move of the Spirit, and the same is possible in us today. And it makes me wonder, even for us as a church, what societal barriers does the Spirit want to burn up in our lives? What, what societal structures does the Spirit want to burn a passion in you for? In what ways does the Spirit want to move in us to bring heaven to earth for those who are being oppressed, stereotyped, or separated? As I'll say it again, when the Spirit moves, barriers burn. God's people are ignited with a passion to bring heaven to earth. Ordinary people do extraordinary things. Societal barriers are eradicated and burned. Uh, people stand amazed and perplexed by the Spirit's movement. It's what happens when the Ruach of God burns, blows deep inside of us. But there's something else that happens in this passage that I think it's important for us to take note of. And I'm not sure if you know this, but there are a lot of people who don't like barriers to burn. Especially those barriers that they're benefiting from. The religious elite they don't want spiritual barriers to burn because, well, they'll lose the power they have over others. 
The, the social elite, they don't want personal barriers to break because, well, they won't seem as important and receive the attention they feel they deserve. And the privileged in society, they don't want societal barriers to break because, well, it'll hurt their status. Which is exactly what happens at the end of this passage. The Spirit of God comes in these, these ragtag group of followers and the wind of God blows upon the fire living inside them and it ignites this, this whole new thing. And at the very end, people are standing amazed and perplexed and many are in awe of what the Spirit is doing, but not everyone. Because in verse 13 we see this, but others in the crowd ridiculed them saying, they are just drunk. You know, it's true when the Spirit moves, barriers burn. But it's also true that when barriers burn, opposition follows. And this isn't a very popular thing to talk about, you know? Because none of us like opposition. I mean, we like the idea, don't we, of the Spirit of God blowing on the fire inside of us and enabling us to do things that we never thought possible and seeing heaven come to earth. But don't, opposition... Isn't everybody going to like all these barriers being broken by God's work in our lives? I mean, we don't really want to talk about that, but, but here's the truth. If we aren't facing opposition, it's likely that the Spirit of God isn't really blowing on the fire inside of us. I mean, opposition, historically, in the Scriptures and beyond, is a sure sign that the Spirit is moving. This is why the church grows most rapidly in persecution. And as we will see, it isn't acceptance that caused the church in the book of Acts to grow and to spread throughout the world. It was opposition that caused it. Here's what I'm convinced of. 100% convinced of. Like my dad leaning down and blowing on the small fire in my childhood home. God is leaning down and blowing his spirit on the small fire burning among us today. And he wants us, Genesis Church, collectively and individually, to be a people who ignite with a fire so strong that it burns spiritual, personal, and societal barriers in our time. And the only question is, will we be open to his pneuma, his ruach? Will we let our guard down and allow him to stoke a forest fire in our community? Will we open our ordinary selves to him that he would do extraordinary things through us? Will we let his spirit rest on us right now and in the days to come that we would become witnesses of the good news of Jesus to a world that is crying out for it. This is not a drill. This is the real thing. The fire is burning and the spirit is ready. Will we let the fire and the wind come again this morning?